0: You are now In Real Time. Written by Stan Cox and read by Sarah Cruz. In Real Time, Chronicle of a Fate Unknown is a monthly series of reports and commentary on cultural, environmental, and political events in the U.S. as they unfold in the pivotal months ahead. With the midterm elections and the COP27 climate summit coming up, we meet two climate activists in this episode who are working to affect local change, however these national and global events turn out. In Real Time, Part 7, Fall, Methane Rebellion, and Beyond. Two high-profile events relevant to this series are going to coincide next month. One of them, the U.S. midterm elections, which will conclude November 8th, could provide the strongest indicator yet of which way our society will turn in the near future, toward an inclusive, pluralistic democracy, or toward the anti-democratic semi-fascism of the MAGA right. It could go either way. In contrast, the other big event... The COP27 Global Climate Conference, November 6th to 18th, is highly unlikely to bring any perceptible change in the trajectory of world greenhouse gas emissions or anything else. Indeed, the election results could have more profound consequences for the Earth's climate than the climate conference will have. If, in November of 2022 and 2024, pro-democracy candidates prevail at the polls and the will of the voters is not overturned passage of bold new climate legislation won't be guaranteed but the possibility will at least remain alive if however by hook or by crook maga politicians prevail in large enough numbers to seize control of both houses of congress and the white house any chance for effective national climate action will be lost for years to come in either event Expansion of local struggles for climate action and environmental justice will be needed more than ever as a foundation for a bigger, stronger national movement. This month, I spoke with two climate activists who are working tirelessly toward those goals. Taking down the fossil gas lines. Liz Karasik is a visual artist and climate activist with Extinction Rebellion in Washington, D.C., XRDC. Karasik says that while protecting and extending the right to vote is important, it's not sufficient. The system's not working. If voting was enough, the will of the people who go into the voting booths would be represented here in Washington, and it's not. That makes it even more important, she says, for more people to take part in grassroots movements in order to build those numbers before things progress even further into the scary future that we're looking at. That kind of organizing is, by its very nature, local. And what better place to energize national climate mitigation through local environmental justice organizing than in the nation's capital? That's why, says Karasik, XRDC has kicked off a campaign against Washington Gas Light Company, the city's sole supplier of fossil gas. Traditionally known by the euphemism, natural gas, Fossil gas consists mostly of methane, a compound with powerful global warming potential. Washington Gas has some of the oldest distribution lines in the nation, and a 2014 survey found more than 6,000 leaks in the system, about 4 leaks per mile of pipe, largely in the city's low-income and black neighborhoods. Some of the leaks posed a serious explosion risk, the company responded by launching a 40-year, $5 billion program to replace the entire pipe system. Because installation of the new gas infrastructure would throw the city's climate mitigation goals completely out of reach, XRDC is demanding that the D.C. Council stop the pipe replacement project, except for emergency repairs of hazardous leaks, and immediately launch a just transition away from gas that prioritizes D.C.'s most marginalized people and ends the city's dependence on gas. Fossil gas is a threat to humanity and the earth at both the largest and smallest scales. PIRG, a federation of state-based, citizen-funded public interest research groups, reports that gas leaks across the U.S. from 2010 through 2021 led to the release of 26.6 billion cubic feet of methane, with a global warming impact of more than 2.4 million internal combustion vehicles driven for a year. Meanwhile, open gas flames from stoves, furnaces, and water heaters also produce large quantities of nitrogen dioxide, NO2, and other indoor air pollutants. These gases can cause severe respiratory problems that disproportionately affect low-income and black communities, especially children. An XRDC press release has more on the campaign to pressure the D.C. City Council to phase gas out as quickly as possible. Karasik stresses that what she calls hyperlocal actions like the DC fossil gas campaign are necessary building blocks of global climate action. I get a sense that some people are confused, like, hey, fossil fuels are a global problem much bigger than a local gas campaign. Why this issue? But strategically, we're mobilizing with an issue that's local, that will build momentum behind local demands, Like telling Washington Gas, no, you cannot spend $5 billion on new pipes to lock us into 40 more years of burning fossil gas. This is a way to change the trajectory, electrify the city. We feel like this is winnable. Then we can go back to expanding on broader demands. We're finding leverage points where we can access the people who have decision making power and move public opinion. Taking on Tesla. The way in which young people have been taking the lead on climate in recent years has been especially heartening to Karasik, and she says the climate movement is hoping for a massive influx in years to come. The more young people who participate, the more change we can make, she says. It's not a matter of explaining to them what the problem is. They're very aware of that. But groups like Extinction Rebellion can offer solidarity and additional opportunities for mobilizing. And she says, in our case, that includes nonviolent civil disobedience as the mechanism to get the government to pay attention and to make change. As it happens, I also had the opportunity recently to interview Alexia Leclerc, 22, a climate and environmental justice activist and a co founder of the nonprofit Start Empowerment. Our conversation took place on stage at the Land Institute's annual Prairie Festival. I'll provide a link in the show notes to the conversation that Stan had with Alexia Leclerc. The conversation runs from about the fourteen to the fifty nine minute mark. In twenty nineteen, Leclerc began working with the environmental justice group Poter, People Organized in Defense of Earth and Her Resources in Austin, Texas. Formed in nineteen ninety one, Poter has an impressive track record as she explained. Austin is highly segregated due to redlining. East Austin is a largely black and brown community, zoned industrial. A bunch of community members came together and started organizing to fight the dirty industries there. They started petitioning door-to-door, talking to the media, hosting toxic tours for politicians so they could see the conditions that community members are living in. Poder was incredibly successful. They kicked six major oil companies out of East Austin. At the time Leclerc began working with Poder, East Austin was still being plagued by a host of problems, including pollution from gravel mining operations and lack of access to clean and affordable water. And then there's Elon Musk's electric vehicle company Tesla. According to Leclerc, Tesla came in with zero plans for community engagement. We built out a coalition and started talking to the press to the point where they had to answer our emails and come talk to us. You could really tell from their company culture that this wasn't something that they necessarily cared about. They saw East Austin community members as a workforce to exploit, just as they were exploiting the land, air, and water. Loose regulations in Texas are one of the main reasons they're here. LeClerc told the audience, We're trying to push Tesla to make commitments such as ecological restoration, community education programs, hiring Spanish speakers, and having programs for Spanish speakers to learn some English. But in dealing with any corporation, she said, it's always kind of like a back-and-forth dance. How much do you really want to collaborate with them? How much external pressure do you apply? It's a fine line taking a stand against Manchin's side deal. I work outside of the system, trying to build community and resilience and mutual aid, and I also do work that's more like inside the system, both local and federal, said LeClerc. At the time we spoke, her inside efforts were focused on a measure then before the U.S. Senate to speed up the permitting of energy projects. The legislation would theoretically streamline all energy sources. However, its prime sponsor, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, valued it most dearly as a vehicle for expediting construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline to carry fossil gas out of West Virginia, the state he represents. In August, he had insisted that this side deal for fast-tracking his pet pipeline be included in future legislation as the price for his vote for the Ostensibly Pro-Climate Inflation Reduction Act. LeClerc joined a group of fellow activists in signing an open letter opposing the mansion side deal. At last count, the letter had been signed by more than 600 grassroots groups and individuals, as well as seven U.S. senators and 70 House members. We've been doing a lot of lobbying, a lot of phone calls, a lot of press as well, she said. A few days after we spoke, she headed to D.C. with the Environment Justice Leadership Forum, a coalition of about 50 grassroots BIPOC-led environmental justice organizations, to turn up the heat on Congress. And they won. Faced with fierce opposition from grassroots groups and an unlikely convergence of anti-gas Democrats and pro-gas Republicans in both chambers, Manchin withdrew his permitting measure from the Senate's year-end funding bill. Next month, Leclerc will travel to Sharm al-Sheikh, Egypt, for COP27. As with all past COPs, she says, Most of us in the grassroots groups don't expect radical change to come out of it because of who's leading it and because the Paris Climate Agreement doesn't have any teeth anyway. We can't have a top-down revolution. It has to be bottom-up. We're attending COP27 just to make sure that our voices are there, and we're not being completely screwed over at the same time we're building movements at home to create the change that needs to happen. And in trying to build those movements, we have to ask, How can we create alternative systems that are not colonial, that are not capitalist? And of course, we need more people on board. It's not something to be glamorized. Responding to a festival audience member, a climate activist who had observed firsthand what she called the over-exploitation of the energy, passion, and labor of young people involved in this work, which can sometimes lead to burnout, Leclerc was blunt. I think every youth activist I know is burnt out, which is a problem. In organizing, there's very much a culture of having to do more and more and more at the expense of ourselves, and we need to shift away from that. We need both self-care and collective care, because we're looking to build a sustainable movement. And it doesn't work to have people burn out and leave. We need to make sure that when we're opposing systems like capitalism, we don't perpetuate them in our own work. Making sure we have time off, we're respecting boundaries, we're distributing work fairly. The media like to kind of glamorize the youth movement, but it's not something to be glamorized. I'm honored to be doing the work that I do, and so are all the incredible youth that I've met. But don't think that kids, especially young kids, should be responsible for doing all the hard work. I think it's really important for us to encourage intergenerational organizing and make sure that everyone of all ages gets involved and does their part to create a more sustainable movement. A few years ago, Leclerc and her friend Kier Blake set out to help build that more sustainable movement by co-founding Start Empowerment, which describes itself as a BIPOC-led social and environmental justice education nonprofit working with youth, educators, activists, and community members. Rather than emulating mainstream environmental education programs by focusing on the physical and biological sciences, LeClerc said she and Blake wanted to emphasize the political component, the justice component. These are things that are not usually taught in schools. Youth spend most of their time in those schools, for 13 years, K-12. through That's a long time to not be learning about the climate crisis, about environmental justice, about organizing, about politics. Those gaps in learning, she said, are a huge barrier to taking any kind of action. Before we can make any progress on climate and justice, there has to be mass education and not necessarily informal spaces. The program is not just conveying knowledge, stressed Leclerc. Rather, we're building knowledge together. It was really cool to see students connect their lived experience with some of the ideas we were introducing to them and have them share what their perspective is from growing up in their neighborhoods and how they saw environmental justice and injustice play out. In the peril-filled decade ahead, Local, collective struggles by people of all ages, as exemplified by Extinction Rebellion, POTR, and START Empowerment, will be essential to advancing multiracial, pluralistic democracy and climate justice nationwide. Democracy and justice are prerequisites for ending our transgression of ecological boundaries and ensuring a livable future for all. In Real Time is a project of Stan Cox, City Lights Books, and the Land Institute. The audio edition is hosted and read by me, Sarah Cruz. Bill Vitek composed and performed the theme music. For the written version of In Real Time, with links to sources, as well as to Stan's books, The Path to a Livable Future, and The Green New Deal and Beyond, see citylights.com forward slash blog. We're really interested in engaging with our listeners. Send your comments or questions to inrealtime at mailbox.org to join the conversation.